Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, friends. One of the most enduring principles in American history of church-state relations has to do with the idea that the government doesn't directly fund churches. And that goes back to colonial days. It also goes back to the latter part of the 19th century. But there is a new movement foot to reverse that historic commitment to keeping the independence of churches and the government. And to talk about uh, one such effort today in Florida is my good friend and colleague, Amira Al-Haddad, who serves as Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the southern part of the United States. Amira, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you. It's been a while. Well, we won't wait so long the next time. Um, <laughs> okay. Blaine Amendments. Who was Senate? Was it Senator or Congressman Blaine? And uh, why are there all these amendments? And well, let's start there because Florida's Florida's getting ready to to vote whether to keep or get rid of a Blaine Amendment. But what on earth is it? Yeah. So Blaine Amendments uh, come to us courtesy of uh, James Blaine, who started a a long political career as a Republican from Maine. He started out as a congressman, then went to uh, be a a senator, and ended up actually serving, I think he served two Secretary of State terms in the latter part of the 1800s. So he's had a long and illustrious career, and these particular amendments that we're talking about today are named after him because he tried to pass a constitutional amendment at the federal level that would specifically have stopped any and all money from the Treasury going to aid any sectarian schools. Now, at the federal level, he failed to get that passed, but it was picked up by the states and probably anywhere from I don't know, I I get conflicting numbers, but anywhere from 36 to 38 states have picked up Blaine amendments and inserted them into their own constitutions. And one of the states that I look after and watch is Florida, and Florida has a very specific Blaine amendment, and um, in the last 18 years or so, that Blaine amendment caused the state of Florida to have a failed voucher program because the Supreme Court of Florida, when the state legislature created their voucher program, said, no, you can't do it. It violates our state constitution. And they specifically pointed to their Blaine Amendment there. So, Okay, when you mention a a voucher, um, the voucher we're talking about, is where government gives money to parents to attend private and religious schools, right? Correct, yes. School voucher programs for um, not 
not just religious schools, but it could be a private school as well. Yeah. Sure. But most private schools have a religious affiliation. I know when we looked at, uh, when we opposed vouchers in the Supreme Court, it was overwhelming. More than three quarters, I think, of, of all private schools in the country are sponsored by churches. That's um, true. It's changing you know, a little bit with charter schools, but, but it is true. The majority are religiously affiliated. Well, charter schools are, at least what I'm familiar with, are actually public funded public schools, but they're kind of uh, an amalgamation because they're they're not subject to all of the rules, the teachers' unions and what have you, so they get to make their own rules like a private school, but they get public money. Yes. So the interesting thing to me about Florida Supreme Court striking down the Blaine Amendment is that they recognized something that the U.S. Supreme Court kind of uh, ignored which is that when you give the voucher to the parents, you're really giving the money directly to the school. And the Supreme Court kind of used the illusion of, of indirect funding to say that this was okay. Um, but uh, Florida recognized that really under our existing legal and constitutional system, it's not okay. Um, so I know... You know, as a Seventh-day Adventist religious liberty leader, the Adventist Church has long um, advocated against this kind of public funding for religious schools. Can you give our listeners kind of a quick heads up why we're concerned about uh, what happens if the floodgates open and government money now can flow to religious schools? Mm-hmm. Well, there are several good reasons why. There are concerns over competition between churches and church schools. A lot of people believe that it would create a lot of unhealthy competition. If you know all these kids have this money, what would you do, you know, to, to outcompete another church school in trying to get those monies to you? Uh, additionally, we we always say that when you get money from the government, don't think that they're not going to stipulate there are requirements to accepting it. In my territory in the southeast, we have two two voucher programs that are in place in Alabama and in North Carolina. In North Carolina, in particular. Uh, the government does put stipulations and requirements on accepting those funds. And traditionally, people will say, well, we already do what the government says, so that's not going to create a problem. Well, you know, the government lets you take it easy for a little bit, but when you start switching administrations and you have an administration that may be very friendly to religion, uh, you're going to have an easy time, but don't forget that voters in your state or in your country could vote for an administration that's less friendly to education, and, and those those administrations tend to put more requirements on a school than you probably want to uh, well, want to meet. Sure. Well, let's cut to the chase because you know, from my perspective, the number one threat to private religious schools is government-imposed obligations not to discriminate on the basis of religion. 
because, you know, for example, our church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, has the largest Protestant school system in the world. And one of the requirements to be a teacher or staff is to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian and to live and, you know, to, we, we want to create a school climate that transmits the values of the faith and the culture of the faith students. And, and we find all the studies show that those kids who attend church schools are much more likely to stay in the church. Well, the uh, many of the voucher laws have these generic non-discrimination rules, and if they were properly enforced, then schools would not be able to hire faculty and staff who are members of their own church. That would be discrimination, and we would lose the religious character of the schools. Yes, and not only that, but I always tell people that for Seventh-day Adventists, our church schools are an evangelistic effort that's going on nine months out of the year. And you want to be able to control that evangelistic effort. But on the flip side of that, is it right to have taxpayers funding your evangelistic effort? Well, I have never heard it put quite that way. I mean, yes, of course, church schools are evangelistic, whether it's our Adventist schools or Baptist schools or Lutheran or Catholic, you know, they do transmit the faith. And typically, church schools accept a certain number of, you know, or are wide open to people from families that are not church members, that, that don't embrace any faith, that, that come for the values and for the education. And yes, a lot of kids do find Jesus at church schools. So that's a good point. You're really talking about, you know, I wish I'd made that argument to the Supreme Court. That would have been a great argument, but I I missed it, Amira. Where were you when I needed you? (laughs) Well, so the back to the Blaine Amendment. So Florida has a Blaine Amendment, and uh, it's up for grabs uh, this fall, I gather. Is that right? Very possibly. We're waiting to see if there's a special commission that can propose amendments to the ballot measures. We're waiting to see if they're going to propose one, and they'll probably have figured it out in the next month or so, whether that's going to go forward. But I'm anticipating that it is going to be proposed because within American society today, we're trending towards uh, getting rid of our Blaine Amendments. I think that what happened last summer with Trinity Lutheran versus Comer when um, the Trinity Lutheran Church in Missouri was allowed by the Supreme Court to directly receive funds from the state. And in that particular case, the Trinity Lutheran case, um, that was the first time that state aid had gone directly to a religious organization. Usually we have a stepping stone. It'll go to a parent first, and then the parent can give it wherever the parent wants to. But in the Trinity Lutheran case, the Supreme Court said, no, the aid can go straight to the church school. Um, that's not a problem, even though the state had said this violates our Blaine Amendment. The Supreme Court overlooked, totally ignored the Blaine Amendment in Missouri to allow for that funding to go through like that. And not to quibble, but let me kind of make a, a quick adjustment here. The Supreme Court did not 
simply approve direct cash aid to a church school, but to a church. Church. And not only did they approve direct cash to a church, but, you know, whereas the rule had been no cash directly to churches was permitted, in this case, they said not to give the money to the church was discrimination. Right. So you're not allowed to exclude the church. That was like a 180-degree shift. So, Amira, what are you anticipating in Florida? Do you think that there's much support for overturning the Blaine Amendment there? It's a good question. I, I think Florida voters in particular have been not uh, not trusting enough to change their amendment, their constitution, rather. Um, they've voted many constitutional amendments down. Uh, so going on the basis of, of history, there's not a good chance. But the trend in America today is to reinterpret the Establishment Clause in our country. And so I, I, I don't know. Um, what I know is that I have been given a job to make sure that I can shine light into the darkness and avoid the pitfalls that are out there. And I think that this is a very big pitfall for us to fall into if we kind of buy into this whole, oh, it's discrimination not to give churches money. Well, maybe not. Well, you know, I have a simple little clip, and I'm going to close with this. What do we call uh, schools that are funded by the government. We call them public schools. So if you want to lose the religious character of your schools, great. Take the government money. And you can have cheaper education, but don't call it. It won't be Christian education. And we'll see the downfall of Christian values in our society, just like in Europe. We're out of time. Listeners, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week. Let freedom break.